In the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There's a story that's told about a businessman who wanted to open up a new location for his company. And so um, he did. He, he, he planned the place and he wanted it to be a big event. And so he called the florist and said, you know, I'm going to be opening up this uh, new location. Would you, would you um, send a big uh, bouquet of flowers and, and, you know, make it festive? And so on the day of the grand opening, he, um, he does. He goes and he, uh, he you know, the, the place is all ready. It's, a, you know, the smell of new paint and new carpet and, you know, the, the people were all in there working and, and they're all ready to go and... And then uh, just before they open, this um, young man comes in carrying a flower arrangement and he sets it there and he knocks on the glass and the secretary opens it up and has her sign for it and puts the flowers out in the lobby and heads off into, you know, do another delivery. And all throughout the day, people would come in and they'd look at the flowers and they would giggle. And then they would walk over to the secretaries at the window and do their orders and do their business and... The secretary thought it was really strange, you know, this reaction that they were getting from the people, you know, coming in, looking at the flowers and giggling. But they were too busy to get up and come around the other side and go see what it was that they were laughing about. So they just kept busy about their work. And sometime in the late afternoon, the business owner finally comes in and he's aghast. He sees the flower arrangement with a big sign on the front that says, rest in peace. Yeah, and so he, he's angry, as you might expect, and he jumps in his car and he rushes over to the florist and he's complaining and can't believe you botched this order, you know, are you completely incompetent? What kind of driver does he did he not notice what you know, you ruined my grand opening, what an awful thing you know, on and on and on as people might want to do. And the florist calmly listened to the man and, and says to him in the end, I'm really sorry. I mean, you're right, it was wrong. We shouldn't have done that. I'm I'm really feel bad about it, but but after all, things aren't that bad. I mean, they're really not that bad. Imagine somewhere today, some poor fellow was buried with a floor arrangement above him that said, Good luck on your new location. <laughs> yeah, things could be a lot worse, couldn't they? Um, misunderstandings happen. They do. It's part of life. The New Testament, the, the Gospel lesson rather today... I think is one of those passages that's often misunderstood. People read it, and and there have been a lot of there have been a lot of people who've commented on it in the scholarly world, and and some less so scholarly, but still feel inclined to comment and write books and, and say all kinds of things about it. People look at it and think that this passage is Jesus telling us what things are going to be like on the cusp of His second coming. What's life going to be like when he returns? And so people read Luke 21 with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other and say, you know, are we there? Is this the time when the Lord is going to return? But I'm getting just a little bit ahead of myself. There is a fundamental Christian belief, as all Orthodox Christians believe, as I surely believe, that there is going to come a day, one day in human history, when the Lord is going to return. When human history is going to cease to to be... Time is going to cease to be. God is going to step into our world and He's going to end human history as we know it. We will be caught together with the Lord. Um, We will live forever with Him. Those who are alive at the end of that period will, will know the passing from one life to the next without death. 
others who have gone before us, as St. Paul tells us, they will, they will meet us. We will gather together with all the saints of God. All Orthodox Christians believe this. This is part of the creed. You know this, right? We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, right? Of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. We believe that Jesus was God. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Right? This is the fundamental Christian belief. Jesus wasn't just a good chap. He wasn't just a nice fellow. He was God. He was also incarnated. That was, He was flesh and blood. For, our, for us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, became incarnate from the Virgin Mary. And was made man. He was made human flesh. We believe Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is critical. This is a fundamental Christian belief. All Orthodox Christians have believed it for 2,000 years. For our sake, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He, was, he, he uh, suffered death and was buried. He, he suffered physically. He died physically. Just like when you were a little child and you went to your grandmother's death and, and your grandmother was in the casket laying there dead, Jesus was that dead. Dead just like that dead. And yet, on the third day, he rose again. We believe that. We believe that he bodily resurrected. And he ascended into heaven. But how does the creed go on? He will come again to judge the living and the dead. You remember the old Apostles' Creed, how it used to say, um, uh, He will come again to judge the quick and the dead. I remember being a little child, and um, I was always faster than my brothers. And I thought that meant he was going to get me first. And I didn't really... He, he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. This is a fundamental Christian belief. It's what all Christians have believed from the from the, the first century. It's what I believe. It's what I hope you believe. Christianity is not about being nice. Although it is nice that we're nice. Some people believe that Christianity is about, isn't it nice that we can be nice to the nice? It's, that's not what it's about. It is... It is nice to be nice, but that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is predicated on a number of immovable beliefs, one of which is that Jesus will return. He will come again. His, in bodily, resurrected form, He will return. And so some people look at this passage and say, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus coming on the clouds with power and glory. Look, there it is. This is our text. This is where we're going to point to. But I'm saying to you, while I accept the fact that I do believe in the bodily return of Jesus Christ, I don't think that's what this passage is about. You say to yourself, but look at it. Verse 7, it's not in your, te- in your lesson this morning, but they asked him, Jesus, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? And Jesus answers in verse 25, There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress among nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Isn't that El Nino? (laughs) I mean, isn't that the polar ice cap melting and the seas rising? I mean, isn't people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world? For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. See? Oh, Joe, it's right there. Don't you see it? Doesn't that spell it out? Well, no, actually, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. 
I do think this passage has a lot of implications about how we should live in anticipation about the coming of the Lord, about the Lord's return. But I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about. This passage doesn't tell us about what things are going to be like when the Lord returns. In order to understand this, though, you need... You knew it was coming. You need a little history lesson. But just a little one. Not a big one. Just a little. If you want a bigger one, come to my office. We'll talk all you want. But for the little history lesson, for the the primer, you have to know this. Jesus was probably born about the year 6 B.C. I know that's confusing, but it comes about because somebody who calculated the first calendar was wrong, and we kept that for so long that we couldn't change it. So we just know that Jesus was probably born about the year 6 B.C., which means he was executed somewhere around the year 26 A.D. Okay, so Jesus was uh, uh, born about the year 6, between the year 6 and 4, executed around the year 26. And 44 years after Jesus was executed and ascended into heaven... In the year 70 A.D., we know this from, from all forms of world history, the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem. By destroyed, I mean they destroyed the city. They came in with a war machine that just simply leveled the city. The holiest site in Judaism, the temple in Jerusalem, was flattened to the ground. To this day, there remains only a single wall. There are Jews at this very moment standing outside of that wall, wailing on that wall. Wailing, praying that God will restore that temple that has been torn down now since the year 70 A.D. So for the better part of 2,000 years, this thing has been going just 44 years after Jesus' execution. Why did the Romans do this? Why did the Romans come into Jerusalem and destroy the city? Because of this reason. When Jesus was alive, there were Jews who hated the Romans. They wanted them out of their country. They were tired of them being an occupying force. They didn't like being occupied by a foreign country. And so there were some of them who said, you know, we could get them out of here. All we have to do is start this sort of guerrilla-style warfare. We could... We could be like terrorists and we could drive them out. They'll turn and run. They did not anticipate the, the, um, the Romans being so bulwark, so stalwart in their determination to keep Jerusalem. And so the city was sacked. It was destroyed. It was run over. Now, now that little history lesson in your head, listen again to the lesson. Maybe open up your bulletin if you want to and, and look with me at chapter 21 of Luke's Gospel. In the 20th verse, Jesus says this, um, this is a little before, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know the desolation time has come near. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, 20 is not in your, is it you pick up at 25? Is that where your your lesson picks up at 25? Okay, so when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that he's not talking about... uh, He's not talking about modern-day Iran, Iraq, whoever. He's talking about people in the year 70 AD. The army is the, the Roman army. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by the Roman army, know that I'm talking about this time is coming near, just 44 years after his execution. I know that people are writing novels, and they're making movies, and they're writing music, and they're doing all sorts of things talking about this, but they're talking about the wrong thing. 
When you see the Son of Man, look at this verse 27. When you see the Son, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Jesus is picking up on a verse from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, it's not about Jesus, the Son of Man, coming from the heavens to the earth. It's going the other direction. Going from the earth into the heavens. This is a powerful Jewish metaphor about the power of God at work in the world. You're going to see lots of things happening and you'll know that I was right. That's what Jesus is saying. When you see these events starting to take place, you'll know that I was right. This is the same thing that Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 13, in Matthew chapter 25, and here in Luke chapter 21. When we get to the year 70 AD, 44 years after he's executed, Jesus is telling things that are going to happen 44 years into the future. We know that Jesus died no later than the year... I mean, let's just say we push it to the year 30 AD. 40 years after he died, he told of events. We know that Mark's Gospel was written in the 50s, 20 years before these events took place. Jesus tells of events that are going to happen 40 years in the future. Mark writes about them 20 years before they actually happen. And then they happen. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And so you say to yourself, hmm, that's really interesting, but so what? (laughs) What are you saying to me? Why are you telling me this? I'm saying that Jesus told the earliest followers, Jews, who were following Him, listen, Christianity is not going to be polished Judaism. It's not going to be redone, revamped Judaism. It's not going to be Judaism with, with, you know, a Jesus twist on it. God is about to turn the whole world upside down. You thought that Israel was set up to be this little beacon of light and everybody was going to come to Israel. But in Jesus, the new Israel begins. And instead of all of the world coming to Jerusalem, all of the world coming to the temple... It's about the temple going out into all the world. It's about what God is doing through Jesus and the church to infiltrate the entire world. The the kingdom is going to go out into the world. Verse 28. This you do have in in your bulletin. Verse 28. Now when these things begin to happen, what things? The war? The 70 AD event? When these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your head, Because your redemption is drawing near. He told him a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and know that summer already is near. So when these things take place, you know the kingdom of God is near. I know, I know this is hard to get your minds around. And we're going to get there. Trust me, we're really close. So just hang with me one second. Jesus is not talking about this sort of intergalactic flying around person that people have made him into, especially in the last 100 years. The point is this, in the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus, in his ascension into heaven, God has begun his rescue plan. Jesus calls it the kingdom of God. He's begun this kingdom work about God rescuing the world. Just like He promised in our Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah. Just like He promised in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. When He says to the woman, your seed will crush the head of the serpent. God is going to rescue the whole of creation. And so do us. What does it mean? 
It means that we believe that He is coming again, but we're not standing around looking up. <laughs> we're not standing around saying, is it now? Is now the time? Oh no, look at the newspaper. What's going on? I want to look at the front page. Look right here in the Wall Street Journal. Jerusalem, Israel, whatever. Look right here in the whatever paper you read. Um, the Beacon Journal, I know what you read. The Hudson Hub, probably not. But look right here. There's, it, this is where no, 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 a thousand times no. We believe, as all Orthodox Christians do, that the Lord is going to return. So, that means it matters how we live now. It matters that we don't stand around in Jerusalem, we don't stand around wherever waiting for the Lord to return, but we get busy doing what He wants us to do. That we get busy restoring His created order. Saving babies, planting trees, helping the hurting, helping the homeless, caring for the needy. Loving the world. That we do stuff like He tells in Matthew 25. Clothing the naked. Doing justice for the needy. Curing the sick. Realizing that the kingdom of God is breaking out all over the planet. Right here in Hudson. Down in Akron. Up in Cleveland. Up in Canada. Over in Sri Lanka. In Nigeria. All over the world. It's not located in a single building in the middle of the Middle East. The kingdom of God is spreading out all over the world. So, what does he say? Don't get caught up in the cares of this world. Don't get caught up in, what is he, drunkenness and dissipation. And, and Don't get caught up in, in, in living like your little world is the only little world that matters. But rather that God is doing a very big thing, rescuing the planet, rescuing the whole of creation. More than two decades ago, I remember my wife coming home from work, and she um, she had this little bag that she went to the pharmacy. She says, "I went to the pharmacy and I bought a pregnancy test because I think I might be pregnant." And I said, "Oh wow, how about that?" You know. Uh, and, and so she um, she goes upstairs in our little apartment and um, and she goes into the restroom and does whatever you do with those pregnancy tests in there. And, um, and, and, and then she comes out and, and has this little stick in her hand. And we looked at it. And we waited. You had to wait for five minutes. And we waited. We waited and we waited. It was a long five minutes. I mean, it's the longest five minutes I ever remember, you know. And, and, and then we're thinking, you know, how will we know if it's like works, you know? How, I mean, how, how do you, we've never done this before. How do you know? And there's supposed to be a little blue line and we're watching for that little blue line. And all of a sudden, this little faint blue line starts to appear. And then it got darker and darker. And, and, and there was no doubt, there was a blue line on that little stick. And we both took a deep breath. And we smiled at each other. And we jumped up and did a little happy dance around our tiny little apartment on Mound Street in Springfield. We're going to have a baby! And she went and got sick, and I thought that was really funny. And um, and we started looking through catalogs and picking out furniture and talking about how we would change our little extra bedroom into a baby's room. We talk about paint colors and, and names. A little blue line on this little piece of plastic from the pharmacy gave us a promise. 
And that promise changed everything about our life. Jesus says to us, I'm coming back. So live like it now. I'm coming back. So you live like it right now. Get busy doing the work of the kingdom in the world. And you'll look up in the sky and there'll be signs all around that I'm right. So, his message to us this first Sunday of Advent. I'm coming back. So live like it. Right here. Right now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.